will be in Jonah chapter 4. Before we get to Jonah, uh, I wonder if you ever participated in a science fair. I know I did. When I was in fifth grade, I made a hovercraft for science fair. Don't get too impressed. My hovercraft was essentially a few pieces of wire from some hangers I may or may not have stolen from my mom's closet. I put a sandwich bag around the wires and hypothetically at least, if I took a hair dryer and kind of aimed it at the thing, it would kind of sort of move, especially if I hit it with the dryer. For my amazing scientific advances, I got a second place ribbon. I was ecstatic. Upon receiving this high honor, I was sure that within days, maybe months, NASA would be calling me, pleading me to come on staff, despite the fact that I could not do math to save my life. My elation lasted roughly five minutes, right up until the point where I saw that a friend of mine, one of my best friends, had also received a second-place ribbon. Now, the thing that was particularly infuriating about this moment was I had been making fun of my friend for weeks because my friend decided that his science project would be to water some bean sprout plants with different kinds of soda and categorize the results. Shock, they all died. And for this miraculously useless feat, he got a second place ribbon. I was angry. That anger was then multiplied by looking around our lame, small gymnasium and seeing many children with second-place ribbons. I was instantly furious. I complained to my teacher. How could this be? I was the one who got second place. I don't remember what my teacher said. All I remember is that I didn't get over it for a very long time. Obviously. See, the, the, maybe the most darkly hilarious part about this moment is I did not deserve, in any way, shape, or form, a second-place ribbon. Sure, others got one, too, but that didn't take away from what I got. The simple fact is, I was being petty. As funny and as sad as the story is, I wish I could say I have completely moved past that. But it's apparently wrong to tell lies in church. So, I have to be honest with you, still am petty sometimes. I'm even prone to getting petty with God. When things don't turn out exactly how I expect them to, I wonder if you're the same. Well, 
If you find yourself getting petty with others and even petty with God, then you, like me, have a friend in Jonah. Let me read it. I'll be reading the entirety of the chapter, but it's a pretty short one. Jonah chapter 4 reads like this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over him to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up, The next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? I want to title this sermon, Getting Petty with God. This interesting, darkly hilarious moment in the Bible is really simple. When you get down to it, there's an outrage followed by an object lesson. All of it having to do with the Debate, conversation between God and Jonah. And really, what I think this story is telling us, and what I want to persuade you to do, is to not be like Jonah. It's as simple as that. I want you and me to leave here rejoicing in the God who saves the quote-unquote wrong kind of people. I don't know who you think are the wrong kind of people. I would like you to imagine with me. You don't have to shout it out. You can just think it. You can whisper it to your neighbor maybe if you want. I want you to imagine a box right here. Now, your box might be bigger than mine, 
Your box might be smaller than mine, but every one of us have a box, and the box has written across the front of it the wrong kind of people. Whether you're a Christian or not, you all we all have these kind of boxes. It's like, yeah, you know, I mean, whatever. They're in the box. Those are the wrong kind of people. Who goes in the box for you? Whoever they are, keep them in mind as we go along. Because those kind of people. That you should rejoice in God. For saving. The text begins with an outrage in verses 1 through 4. We've clearly come in on the middle of a story. Notice verse 1. But is it displeased Jonah exceedingly? Question number 1. What the heck is it? Well, let me just catch you up on the entirety of the very short, sad, weird, and hilarious book of Jonah. Jonah, you see, got called by God to go preach to his enemies. In Nineveh, in chapter 1, Nineveh are the people that are in Jonah's box, no question. Jonah hears God's call and begins to run in the wrong direction. It becomes clear very quickly that Jonah would rather die than be God's disciple. Jonah tries to drown himself, but God sends a fish to save him. You go, that sounds weird. You would be correct. If you were to ask the question, how exactly does that work? Here's the answer. I have no clue. Regardless, Jonah is swallowed by a fish and is there for three days and three nights, and he comes to see a light in the darkness. He comes to realize that God had brought him down to the point of death in order to give him life. That fish somehow, don't know how, Vomits him back onto the shore and God knocks on Jonah's door one more time and goes, hey, uh, guess what? Get on up and go talk to the Ninevites. And this time, miraculously, Jonah does just that. He goes into town and preaches, let's be honest, one of the worst sermons on the face of the planet, which is yet 40 days, chapter 3, verse 4, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Not exactly like a, you know, Simeon Trust approved sermon, but still, it's probably a summary and, you know, Jonah's still doing his job. He's, he's going. He's saying something. And miraculously, both Jonah and the Ninevites experience something rather wonderful. They experience the relief of a relenting God. In light of that, in light of the Ninevites going like, oh, thank you for that message. We need to repent. I would like to tell you that chapter 4, verse 1, goes like this. And Jonah and the Ninevites lived happily ever after. Instead, but it, the Ninevites turning toward God, displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was Angry. In his anger, in verses 2 and 3, Jonah lobs up one of those angry prayers. You ain't got to admit to it, but I bet you done it, right? Dear God, what the heck is going on? It's a hilarious prayer. Especially the 
Right there in verse 2. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. In other words, listen, what is over here that is making me angry is your fault. This is a, this is a long-standing pattern of this in the Bible. Um, you know, God comes and goes, what the heck did you do, Adam and Eve? Adam's like, bro, it is the woman that you gave me. It's on you. Jonah goes, see, this is, I'm angry. You're to blame. This all is happening. I told you this is going to happen. It's your fault. And then he goes on and says one of the craziest things, maybe in all of the Bible, in anger. I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Dang it. Here's the thing, friends. Maybe you believe there's a God. Maybe you believe there's not a God. But if there were a God, isn't that exactly the kind of God you'd want? See, Jonah had experienced God's grace and his mercy, his slowness to anger, and his abounding, steadfast love. It was the only reason at this moment in time that he had breath in his lungs to breathe out this angry prayer. It's also the only reason you're breathing right Now, here's the thing. I'm willing to bet that you're probably not as bad as Jonah. This is Texas. You're good people. <laughs> but be honest. Do you really think you deserve God's grace, mercy, patience, and love? I know I don't. See, Jonah was good with the fact that that was the way God was towards him. He was angry that God was that way towards the people in the box. Know this, for God's grace to be truly wonderful, it has to be wonderful for the wrong kinds of people too. I wonder if you ever doubt if God, if there is a God, could be gracious and merciful and patient and loving toward you. Well, friends, you're here today, so there's that. The crazy thing about what Jonah is saying here is what it results in. He goes, this is why I didn't obey you in the first place. That's your fault. That's on you. I'm mad at you because of who you are. Verse 3. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it would be better for me to die than to live. Like, are you kidding? Like, ser seriously? Here's the thing. It wouldn't change what happened to the Ninevites. 
This is Jonah at his self-centered worst. I wonder if it sounds familiar. Friends, God's grace, His goodness, His patience, His love is not a zero-sum game. In other words, no one has to lose in order for everybody to win. Jonah is like an imaginary fifth grader at a science fair, having received a second place ribbon and realizing that the wrong kind of people got the ribbon too. Jonah is getting petty with God. It, it, now, I don't know how you would respond if you were God hearing this angry prayer from Jonah. There's no doubt what I would have done. I would have blown him off the top of the mountain in a fireworks display of glory. And then spelled out in the sky to the Ninevites, you're welcome. <laughs> That's not what he does. He asks Jonah a question. Verse 4, do you do well to be angry? God gives time to Jonah to consider his actions. And shockingly, because we have this written down and because you and I are reading this this morning, it's the exact same thing that's happening to us. God is giving you and I time to consider our actions. All right. You angry, bro? Do you understand exactly what is going on? I, I imagine this is as if God is a patient father just kind of standing there with his arms behind his back asking this question as his adolescent child is kicking and screaming on the floor. Jonah is outraged. What he needs, apparently, is an object lesson. The communication of a principle through practical example. It's exactly what happens. We, we've seen his outrage. Now we see the object lesson in verses 5 to the end. Just as it the beginning of the book, this section ends tragically. God has asked Jonah a question in verse 4, and Jonah doesn't answer. He just wanders off at the beginning of verse 5. Instead of answering the question, he goes and makes a fort on a hilltop like a seven-year-old child. Wanting to watch the world burn down in anger. No doubt he is waiting to see if God will destroy the city after all. I mean, you know, the people repented real quick and God was supposed to burn this thing down after 40 days, according to chapter 3, verse 4. So it's as if Jonah waits to see if God's going to do what he's already said he wasn't going to do. It's the ultimate mark of pettiness. We have the gift of looking into the mirror of Jonah 4 here to see if we get a glimpse of ourselves. What's interesting is, just as God had appointed a fish to swallow Jonah and save him, chapter 1, verse 17, God now appoints a plant to grow. 
This is the object of the object lesson. Just in case we didn't think that Jonah was petty before, when the shade comes, we are told that Jonah is exceedingly glad. It's right there in verse 6. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. The reason why this demonstrates his absolute pettiness is because of what we read in verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. In other words, just as angry as he was with God's grace towards the wrong kind of people, he is equally excited about having some shade to watch the world burn down. It's the only time in the book of Jonah that he expresses anything like joy, happiness, or gladness. It's when he is like a child sitting under a plant. Jonah is petty, just like you and me. Then something funny happens. Listen, here's just a free tip. You've got to laugh when the Bible is funny. Jonah's sitting up there. He's got his fort. Now he's got a little shade from this plant. And then, verse 7 comes. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching wind and the sun beat it down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. God appoints a fish. God appoints a plant. Then God goes, all right, now I'm going to appoint a worm. It's the first part of the story. Then he's like, now I'm going to appoint the wind. Jonah may have seen the light and the darkness and the fish. But now he's blind as a bat. And the blinding sun. He goes right back to being petty. Notice what it says at the end of verse 8. It's hard to read your own actions in the Bible. And he asked that he might die. In case you missed it the first time, he said, It's better for me to die than to live. Like, bro, your umbrella just blew away. That's all that. What are you talking about? See, I don't know about you, but I definitely catch a glimpse of myself here. I wish I could tell you that the only glimpse that I catch is of a fifth grade boy upset with his second place ribbon. At least I could use the excuse that, you know, I mean, I might have been like Jonah, but I was in fifth grade. But I'm still too often like Jonah. Aren't you? It's at this point that the object turns into the object lesson. And the concluding lines 
come in the form of a comparison in verses 10 and 11. It's on the back side of God pointing out how ridiculous the situation is in verse 9. God said to Jonah, do you, okay, so do you do well to be angry about the plant? Now, of course, the answer to this question is, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back into my fort. But instead, Jonah responds, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. All right. So this moment that everything has been set up perfectly for God to make the point by way of comparison. Verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. You pity the plant. Question, verse 11, and should not I pity Nineveh, great city, 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. They're ignorant and much cattle. Question that has confused humans for all time. Why do you end on cattle? We're in Texas. You all probably get it. But here's the thing. He's saying like, you. this is a plant, dude. It grew up. It fell down. You pity that thing. I'm talking about human persons and large animals. I spared all that. I shouldn't have pity on that. It wasn't just that he pitied any people. Or there was a lot of people. It was an ignorant people. They didn't know the right hand from their left. They were ignorant of God. Jonah wasn't, and he had been in rebellion all the way along. The shocking thing isn't what God did with the Ninevites. It's what he did with Jonah. Remember the people in the box? I wonder how many of them are unbelievers. And you go, I can't believe God would be gracious to them. No, that's actually the understandable part. Like, it's still a miracle. And if you're here and you're like, I I'm, don't believe all this stuff, well, congratulations, because now I'm telling you about the God who's been gracious to you. Maybe you haven't known your right hand from your left. Maybe you're ignorant. The hard part is, like, that's not true anymore. Ever again. Because I've just told you about who this God is. But you see... It's not nearly as much of a miracle that the people in the box are breathing. But if you consider yourself to be a Christian, it's that you're breathing. That I'm breathing. Those of us who know who this God is. And are petty anyways. What right did Jonah have to be petty? What reason do you and I have to be petty? The answer is none at all. None. The tragedy of Jonah is that, mysteriously, the book ends with a question. It just hangs there. And there's no resolution to it. If you're kind of like, well, I don't know. Maybe they misprinted my Bible. I didn't get the epilogue. I didn't get the conclusion here. Nope, that's just the way it ends. I think it's the way on purpose. I hope Jonah haunts you for the rest of your life. 
for the last time, God speaks and Jonah just doesn't answer. But you see, the question isn't for Jonah. Because this has been written down and included in the Bible, it is a question for you and a question for me. That's why it ends with a question. What happened to Jonah? Don't know, don't care. I would love to think that he went down and partied with the Ninevites and they all became Christians or all became believers or whatever. It was like, yay, God, I don't know. Doesn't matter. What does matter is that you and I take a long, careful look at this question. How will we respond when God saves the wrong kind of people? The people that we put in the box. Whoever you are, know this. Never forget this. You're in somebody else's box. See, we're all the wrong kind of people to someone. Once again, I ask you the question, how will we respond when God saves the wrong kind of people? Let me close by demonstrating how we should respond and why we should respond that way. It was demonstrated for us in our scripture reading this morning. Book of Acts, chapter 10. One of the most amazing moments in the history of the church. An angel comes to Cornelius, who's a Gentile, a.k.a. wrong kind of person, and tells him, hey, go get Peter. A similar moment in time, Peter is hungry, waiting for lunch, hanging out on a rooftop and has a vision. Uh, he doesn't exactly know what the heck is going on. It's a strange vision. Sheet comes down, a bunch of unclean animals. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's like, yeah, no thanks, I'm cool. I'm real holy. And God goes, okay, we're going to do this a second time. And then he does it a second time. And then he does it a third time. And Peter's like, nope. And then he wakes up from his vision. He goes, oh, that was weird. And then there's a knock at the door, and it's Cornelius' people. And are like, yeah, check it out. This angel sent us over here to get you to go talk to Cornelius. And Peter's like, about what? And they're like, I don't know. Just go over there and tell him something. So Peter's like, okay, I, hold on. I just had the vision. I think things are starting to come together. And then, ultimately, he goes to Cornelius' house. The shocking thing is, the angels just didn't do it themselves. Do what? Well, tell Cornelius and tell Peter, hey, guess what? There's good news about this Jesus fella. It's for all kinds of people. Nope. Sends the angels just to bring them together. In order for this to happen, Peter gives the right answer to God's unanswered question of Jonah chapter 4. The question of shouldn't I show pity? Should I show pity? To ignorant people? Here's the way Peter answers the question. We read it once. I want to read it again. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 to 43. This is Peter's answer to Jonah's question, or God's question to Jonah. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, 
but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Friends, should God pity Nineveh? Should God pity the people in the box? Should God pity you? There's two answers to that question. First one's an easy one. No way. Not even. The second answer is, not only should he, but he has. Why? It's the end of Peter's speech. Everyone who believes in Jesus' name receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Friends, God's pity on us has been clearly demonstrated every moment of all of our lives because we are here. To be confronted with the question of God to Jonah, to be confronted with the people we put in the box, God's pity for them and God's pity for us. Friends, I think if Peter were here in light of what we read in Acts 10, he'd tell us this. Friends, stop being petty with God. Start rejoicing. We serve a God who saves the wrong kind of people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this Strange, small, surprising story. Pray for those who may be realizing for the first time today that, like the Ninevites, they have never known their right hand from their left. They don't know anything about you. Would you help them to see the majesty of your mercy towards them and bringing them here to hear about Jonah and about Jesus this morning. I pray for those who hear this message and are feeling the conviction of their pettiness. 
Lord, to some degree, we all are. Lord, would you help us to be particularly merciful and gracious, patient and loving with the people that we put in the box of the wrong kind of people. Mainly because you've given us the opportunity to realize again this morning that we deserve it least of all. But help us to understand the glory of your grace and people like Jonah, people like us, not only in sparing people like the Ninevites, but in saving us through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.